1: deviate away from the world of sports momentarily uh, because i think with all the information that is out there there's a lot of things that float around the internet that uh, seem to be fact and they're not or they're off so i thought you know what i heard this guy on the other day down at 670 the score and i said i I gotta get him on he was fantastic doctor dr rob citronberg northwest infectious disease consultant for advocate Healthcare, joining us on the schneider orange hotline doctor how you doing
2: i'm doing well thank you so much for having me
1: no, thank you for coming on and taking a couple of minutes out of your day. I know you guys are extremely busy right now. So, uh, you know, I read yesterday there's this, this thought process of a 180-day rollout plan and start to, uh, you know, kind of relax some of the restrictions. So I, I guess the question to me, uh, and, and a lot of people have, is when they say relax, at this point do we have a specific as to what that means by any chance, or, or where are we with that? Do you know? Uh, we don't have any specifics
2: yet we're really taking it day by day and week by week Uh, and, and when we talk about rolling relaxation it means that we may be able to relax some of the standards in areas that are not as hard hit by the virus so it may vary a lot regionally by state by region, depending on where the virus is more prevalent. But for sure, it's, it's not going to be an all-in. Like tomorrow, everybody can go out. Everybody can go to restaurants. Everybody can go to sporting events. When we start to relax the restrictions, it's very likely going to be in smaller groups uh, and then maybe somewhat larger groups. And, and the last thing that's going to happen is we'll be able to have large stadium events like sporting events or concerts, and, and that is... Pretty far off on the horizon based on what we know right now.
1: Uh, let, me, let me go back. Where are we in understanding the virus itself? We've made a lot of progress. You know I, I tell people it seems like we've
2: been dealing with this for a couple of years, but it's really only about three and a half months. You know, the first case report of this disease was in China on December 31st, 2019, and it's only three and a half months ago we no one had ever heard of it before then and so just in three and a half months we've learned so much about it i study this basically 24 7 and i'm learning more about it every day so we have a really good idea now about the virus how it spreads how it's transmitted Uh, what we don't have a great handle on right now are the drugs that we can potentially use to treat it those are studies that are ongoing i wish we had some better news or more convincing news about the drug treatment right now. But we, we do know a lot about how the virus spreads. And we've also, we're starting to learn how to con- contain it. You know, social distancing is working. We started it a few weeks ago. There's no doubt that we are bending the curve, meaning that the rate of growth of new cases has really slowed down. So that's good news. And we're going to focus on that and take that good news and run with it and, and try to uh do everything we can to shorten the duration of this pandemic.
1: There's two offshoots to that answer. One is you talked about vaccines. Now, I know they keep talking about the acceleration of a vaccine and things are being worked on, and there's three of them currently that are being considered. And, you know, what would be – i mean because I keep, I keep hearing about a year we're a year away dr fauci said the other day we're a year away from actually having a vaccine that's going to be usable so are we a year away can they expedite that to this year can they expedite that to october to you know august i mean how long does it take to actually get something that's viable that we understand and that that actually works
2: i think the minimum time is probably a year to year and a half and the reason is in order to use a vaccine, you have to test it first and to do two things. One, to make sure it's safe, that it doesn't cause any harm to the people who are getting it. And, and second, to see if it works. So it's a great idea. We, we're so hopeful that it works, but it takes that long to figure out if it actually works. And so once we know that, then you can ramp up production, and give it to people. But that whole process you know, in most cases, it takes even longer than that. And I, I think the expedited time is probably year to year and a half. So it's very unlikely we're going to have any sort of vaccine available by the end of this year. But hopefully by next year, next winter, we will have something available that we can work with. But uh, that's uh, still a little bit a ways off.
1: The other uh, question I had is, is that uh, there is this thought process that if you've had it, that you've built up antibodies, and therefore you are unlikely to get it again. Now we are hearing some of the outbreaks that are happening again in some of these cities in China, Tokyo, and things where some people are reporting having it again. Do we know enough about this that if you do get it and you survive it, that you're then in the clear? Or do you have to have now legitimate concern that this thing can come back and come back with a vengeance?
2: Well, the best available knowledge is that you can't get it again, at least in the near term. So when you get the virus, your body makes antibodies against it, and those antibodies are protective. We just don't know for how long. We don't know if it's going to be for six months, for a year, or lifelong, and that's going to require a study out into the future. So at least for the near term, it does seem like the antibodies that you get are protective Uh, that will prevent you from getting it again. There have been some reports from Asia about possible reinfection, but it's not really clear about those cases. It seems in most of those cases, those are people who never actually fully recovered from the disease. So at least the best available knowledge right now is that the antibodies that you develop are protective, and so much so that we're starting now to use the antibodies from people who have recovered from COVID and we're actually infusing them into patients right now who are sick with it to try to get those antibodies to help speed up the response. That's a pretty exciting development.
1: Wow, um, it is. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Rob Citronberg, Northwest Infectious Disease Consultant for Advocate Healthcare, joining us on the Schneider Orange Hotline. So, look, we all want sports to come back. I I guess the question is how realistic is is it because there are – uh, the players associations are saying, yeah, we want to come back and we'll do it under a bubble and we can figure these things out, but only if there is a vaccine. So what we're hearing then is, is there's really not going to be a mass vaccine for a, probably a year. So I, I guess as a sports fan, and this is what I do for a living, you know, the the, the likelihood of being able to quarantine and keep everybody 100 percent healthy with everybody that's involved we may not have this for this season. I mean, are, could we looking, be looking at that realistic possibility? If it's just we're going to have to wait till next year before we all have mass gatherings again.
2: I think that's a very likely possibility. I've been, you know, I'm a huge sports fan myself, and I'm missing all sports, missing baseball especially. Uh, but we have to be mindful of the fact that that we can't have sports or we can't have anything really until this disease is under control. That the, the health. Population has to be the top priority. I've heard uh, particularly a potential plan from Major League Baseball to play all the games in Arizona training facilities with no fans. But even that plan is worrisome to me because it's not just the 25 guys in each team, it's the managers, the, the coaches, the umpires, people who have to work the stadiums, TV crews, families. And so to be able to effectively isolate or quarantine all those people is really unlikely and it would just take one person to get infected to basically uh, could, could shut the whole thing down so i, I understand why there's such a, a push to get it back there's a lot of money being lost people are are not being able to enjoy their livelihoods but we have to be patient and we can't push it and we have to be sure that this virus is under control before we reemerge in sports even in those Quarantine settings that's been proposed by Major League Baseball.
1: Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what I've been kind of preaching on the air, and I, I, I'm going by what I read, what I hear, what I've heard you say. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, "You know what? I'm ready to go back into stadiums." Uh, it didn't kill as many people as we thought it would, and the percentages are low, and you get sick and you, and you recover. What I've been saying is, is I understand that because statistically we're seeing that mainly because of social distancing, but also the strain it's put on the healthcare system, the strain that it's put on patients that do have immune issues, uh, we have to be cognizant of. And in addition to that, you don't want another outbreak, even though you may be good. You may end up killing your neighbor because of it or killing somebody in your family because of it or because I've heard now of a couple of different people that had completely healthy friends and they're no longer with us and they contracted it. It goes from their their lungs to their kidneys to their heart and boom, they're gone in three, four, five days because for whatever reason, they were more susceptible to it. So this is the reason their stay-at-home orders. This is the reason their self-distancing orders. This is the reason their social distancing orders. Is that it in a nutshell? Even though you may be strong, you may be carrying something that could very likely Kill the person next to you.
2: That's exactly right. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. So, what we know about this disease is still about 80% of people who get it don't really have any problems. They have a very mild flu like illness. They don't even need medical care for it. It's the other 20% that we worry about. And those 20% are the people who are vulnerable. They're older people. If you're over 70, particularly over 80, uh, if you have immune-compromising conditions, if you've got a lot of medical problems, you're at a lot higher risk for getting sick and dying from it. But to your point, there's been a lot of people who are young and healthy who have gotten it and have died, and, and I think we have to really recognize that that while you're if you're young and healthy, your odds of getting sick or dying from this are a lot lower. It's still possible, and you're exactly right. Also that. That people who are healthy can transmit this even if you don't have any symptoms particularly kids and we know that a lot of this disease is transmitted by people without symptoms so you could have the disease not even know you have it and go visit your mother your grandmother and you can give it to them and they can get sick or die from it so even though you may perceive yourself as having a lower risk you can spread it to someone who's vulnerable and who could die from it so this is a huge problem and and for people who say that, you know, they're 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 happy that the numbers are better than they thought, the deaths are fewer than they thought. The reason that's the case is because we've done so well with social distancing. It's working. So if we didn't have any social distancing, we didn't have any regulations in place, any shelter in place to prevent it, the numbers would be maybe ten times worse than they are right now. So We're certainly happy that the numbers are better, particularly in terms of mortality, but that's because of what we're doing, and that's even more reason to continue what we're doing until we're sure it's gone.
1: Uh, Last question, and and should we expect an an even more easing of this uh, as the weather gets warmer? There is a thought process that just like the flu, it will dissipate in warmer weather, and then we could have a resurgence come the fall, but do we look forward to warmer weather helping curtail this?
2: That's a great question, too. So, you know, this particular virus, the coronavirus, is part of a large family of viruses called the coronaviruses. And in general, those are seasonal viruses. You know, some of them just cause a common cold, especially in kids. Uh, They tend to be seasonal. They're wintertime viruses, both in the northern hemisphere and then in the southern hemisphere during their winters. And they tend to go away after the wintertime, and part of that is related to temperature, and humidity, but there's probably other factors of the virus that we don't know about. If you look at the world map for coronavirus infections right now, about 95 percent of the cases are in the northern hemisphere, which argues is this may be a seasonal virus. Uh, so we're hopeful that with the change in seasons, it will lessen its impact. But even a change in seasons is not going to eradicate It, it may make it somewhat easier to contain. Now, the bad news is if you live in the southern hemisphere and it's seasonal, you'd expect that it would, the activity of the virus would pick up as they get into their wintertime months. Uh, So we don't know yet about this specific virus. We're hopeful there will be a seasonality to it that will help. But remember also that it's probably going to come back next winter. We had the swine flu epidemic here in 2009, and That went away, but we still have swine flu cases every single winter. We've had them every single winter since that time. So it's very likely that this virus is gonna become one of our seasonal viruses that we see. We can expect a reemergence of some sort next fall and next winter. But I think we'll be a lot better prepared for it. We'll probably have some drug therapy that works. We'll be a lot closer to having a vaccine. And also more people in the community will have had it And we can start to develop what we call herd immunity, which is when a large proportion of the population has been exposed to it, it becomes less easy to contract because there's fewer people who can spread it. So even if it comes back next winter, I think we'll be a lot better prepared for it than we are right now.
1: Doc, you're fantastic. I appreciate it. Uh, you delivered exactly what I thought you would, and I, I, I can't say thanks enough for kind of educating the listeners that we have uh, as to what exactly is going on. I appreciate your time. I know you got a lot going on, but thanks for taking a couple of moments out of your busy ske- schedule, okay? It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Dr. Rob Citronberg from Northwest Infectious Disease, uh, the consultant there for Advocate Healthcare, and uh, just a tremendous wealth of information, explaining what it is, explaining the misnomers, talking about some of our thought processes along the way, and hopefully it gave you a good grasp of what it is that maybe your or he is dealing with and what they're seeing on a front line a daily basis. So uh, just some ominous thoughts, but some very much, uh, I guess, educational thoughts might be the best way to put it, but man, is he fantastic. Just so good. Uh, He joins us on the Schneider Orange Hotline. Schneider hiring drivers right now. You work hard. They treat you fair. 80-plus years they've been getting it on. Call them. 800-44-PRIDE. Go to schneiderjobs.com.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild.